Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. All right, welcome, everybody. Um, I was running a little bit late tonight. Um, so it was interesting to be in a rush to go sit down and meditate, teach a class. I just got back. Today is my son, Stevie Ray Strummer Levine's birthday, nine years old. And uh, Stevie Ray and I spent the weekend in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And we're getting radical on some snowmobiles and we had a great time. And uh, just got back and dropped him off and was running late for class. So I'm a little, little uh, activated, a little kind of, of course, then I had to jump on my motorcycle and speed through the streets to get here to teach meditation. So we're gonna do a fast meditation tonight. Probably not. Anyways, welcome everybody. Anybody that's new, uh, this is the regular Monday night against the stream meditation class. I've been uh, teaching for many years, perhaps decades, and uh, really happy to uh, be with everybody tonight and welcome everyone and Look forward to getting into our conversation, this continued conversation, teachings about um, ethics and the Buddha's teachings on karma and the importance of understanding karma. And um, tonight we'll talk about money and how we earn money and how we spend money and uh, how we feel about money, <laughs> our attitudes about it. And anyways, we'll get into it and we'll get into it. And some of this will be uh, what the Buddha taught and some of it will be some of my views and opinions. But let's start with a period of sitting meditation as we do and um, I was so late tonight, I couldn't set up in the meditation center, my laptop, so I'm sitting in my office and uh, on a very comfortable chair. So I'll try not to fall asleep. I think I'm energized enough to stay awake, but let's start with meditation, wherever you're sitting. Um, find a way to be upright, to be relaxed, to bring your full awareness into your body, allowing your eyes to be gently closed. And taking a minute to just arrive, to adjust the posture, to relax any places of tension. Often in our eyes, in our jaw, shoulders, neck, belly. 
as you exhale each time, softening, releasing the aversion, the craving, the clinging, the resistance that we hold physically. Soften into the present, relax into the here and now, right now. It's like this with these thoughts and feelings, these sensations, sounds. And from this place of softening, we open to our own direct moment-to-moment -moment experience. Mindfulness is present time, non-judgmental awareness. And it works best if we bring an attitude of kindness. As we experience our mind and our heart and our body, bringing an attitude of friendliness, of kindness, as much as you can, even if you're not feeling particularly kind. Sometimes just saying those words, friendliness towards myself, kindness towards my mind, my heart, my body. As a aspiration, as a intention, as an orientation, we orient towards friendliness with the practice of mindfulness. And then just investigate your present experience. What are the sense doors of seeing and hearing, smelling and tasting? What's here right now in your body? What sounds are being perceived? What images are presenting themselves, even with the eyes closed? if any. And bringing the attention down out of the head and face, through the neck into the shoulders, into the body, the trunk, the arms and legs, the belly and genitals, the ass sitting in the cushion, the chair, feet on the ground.
Then let your attention choose a object of awareness. For the most part, we use the breath with a simple instruction, breathing in, know that you're breathing in, breathing out, know that you're breathing out, letting everything else recede to the background, the thoughts and other sensations. Focus on the breath. But it doesn't have to be the breath, it can be sound. Just choosing something that's happening right now as an anchor to the present. Hearing or breathing. And as we're being mindful of the breath or hearing or whatever present time experience or focusing on, remember to soften. I just noticed my jaw was getting tight and we release it. Over and over, relaxing into the present time experience. with kindness. We're not trying to stop our minds from thinking, it's just what the mind does. But for now, we let those thoughts be in the background, trying not to engage in the stories, the memories, the hope and fear of the mind. Trying to give our full attention to the body.
But of course we get engaged in thoughts and we just disengage. Come back to the breath. Come back to the embodied present time experience. We allow our bodies to teach us about impermanence. To remind us that everything that arises passes. When we place our attention on the breath, it's constantly changing nor on sound constantly changing. If you're fairly new to meditation practice, keep disengaging from the thought world, keep returning to the body. Come back to the breath. As we disengage from the future and past, we can unentangle our awareness, our tendency to be identified with what the mind is doing, the emotions that are being created, and just feel the direct physical experience of the present. Even if it's unpleasant, uncomfortable, anxious, or 
sad, afraid, in the body, feel it. Disengage from the story. Turn towards the sensations. If you have been practicing for some time, you know, you know what to do. Expand, become more inclusive of the sense doors, include the thoughts, turn towards your mind, stop ignoring it. In the beginning, we learn to ignore our minds, but eventually it's necessary to turn towards what's happening in our minds with an unentangled participation, knowing what's happening moment to moment. This is fear, this is craving in the mind, or this is joy, this is thoughts of love, of kindness. Identify the mood, the attitude of mind, and the content, the impermanent arising and passing of thoughts, some about the future, some about the fat past.
we become aware, we wake up to what's happening moment to moment in our mind, in our heart, in our body. And it becomes more and more clear that we perceive some thoughts and some sensations, sensory experiences as pleasant, enjoyable, likable. Some of the sensory experience of the mind, heart, body perceived as painful, unpleasant, difficult, disagreeable. Meditation is about seeing clearly and responding wisely. Responding to our own mind with compassion and forgiveness. Responding to the pain in the body with tolerance and mercy, friendliness. Responding to the joy, the pleasure, the states of bliss, expansion, spaciousness. With an attitude of appreciation, non-attached, non-clinging appreciation of what's pleasant in your heart, in your mind, in your body.
for the last couple of minutes. Let go of the unentangled participation, the pure mindfulness. And reflect uh, on tonight's topic. Just let your mind think about money. Perhaps you already were. Just think about money. What's it mean to you? What, what happens in your body when you start thinking about money? Is it tense? Is there fear? Are you relaxed around money? Is it a source of joy or sorrow? Or perhaps neither? And when you're ready, you can allow your eyes to open. Take a moment to readjust your posture if you'd like, or you can keep meditating, keep sitting if you'd like. So I want to um, again welcome everybody. I'm not, um, I'm not sure why, but uh, for one reason, for some some reason, there's a, a lot of people. So I assume a lot of new people um, at class tonight. Um, this is one of the larger turnouts that I've had for the Monday night on the Zoom classes. So I'd like to give a little um, context of uh, where we're at. Um, everything that I'm teaching uh, for the most part is what the Buddha taught and, you know, of really looking at um, how do we wake up in this world? And the, the Buddha's core teaching is the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, and starting by acknowledging the suffering in our life, the suffering in the world, 
seeing the causes of that suffering as craving, as aversion, as self-centered, fear-based uh, resentments, and um, but mostly craving for it, life to be different than it is. And, um, and then the, the third truth, which is uh, the, the Buddhist teaching, the, the promise liberation is possible, happiness is possible, freedom is something that we can choose, we can get free, we can wake up, uh, we can find uh, ease and peace in this lifetime, in this world, just as it is, without changing the world, we can have such a radical change in our attitude and our perception that we can be liberated, we can be free. Uh, of course, there's also quite a bit of encouragement to try to change the world. It's not saying, uh, uh, fuck the world completely. <laughs> it's saying you don't need the world to change to be happy, which is pretty fucking radical in itself. But this is the Buddhist teaching. And then the Eightfold Path, which is if you want to get free, here's how to train yourself. Here's the practices. Here's the path, the Eightfold Path. And uh, those of you who are joining us for the first time or dipping in, haven't been here for a while, I'm in this sort of middle section of talking about the Buddha's teachings on ethics, on uh, karma, and um, how we create karma and through our speech a couple weeks ago, last week through our actions tonight around money, which is also around action, maybe speech and action. Uh, livelihood is the topic of the uh, factor, wise livelihood, sometimes translated as a right livelihood, where the Buddha talks about how, you know, what jobs for, if you're serious about wanting to be happy and, and to, to get free, that there are certain professions to avoid. Professions, uh, and it's quite simple, right? You can, common sense. Um, if you're trying to purify your karma, if you understand cause and effect and you want the effect of your actions to be positive <laughs> and wholesome uh, and forward leading, leading towards uh, happiness, towards freedom, then of course we don't want to be in a profession that is creating negative karma for us, neg you know, negative uh, bringing us in a direction towards suffering. Um, so the Buddha's teaching is, is about our relationship to how we earn money, but I want to just start with a little bit of reflection uh, and asking you to reflect, and I'll reflect with you, on just our relationship to money. And just even taking a moment like you did at the end of meditation, just thinking about money, like what happens in your belly? What happens in your jaw, <laughs> in your armpits? What is the, you know, like when you think about money, how does your body feel? We can learn, uh, as I said in the meditation instructions, in the beginning, this first foundation of mindfulness, the body teaches us so much. The body is uh, teaches us so much if we can tune into it.
reflecting on what's your relationship to money like? What's your attitude about money like? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'll throw out some, you know, do you have like a super Wu-Tang attitude where it's just like cash rules everything around me? Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Is it, you know, are you just kind of like, I like money. I want money. It rules. Money's good. Is that your attitude? You know, are you, are you an American capitalist at heart? You know, just like the more money I can get, the better. Uh, or do you have some other uh, attitudes, you know, the other side of the kind of like money is the root of all evil? Does that feel, is there some shame around money? Is money not spiritual? As spiritual Buddhist people, are we not supposed to even be talking about it? Have you heard many Dharma talks about money? <laughs> uh, I haven't, <laughs> I've heard a few, but it's not something, you know, and, and even I know for myself, even talking about, there's a little bit of like, ooh, talking about money feels weird. But it's such a central aspect of human life that the Buddha was wise enough to address it in his teachings on the path to liberation even though he was encouraging people to renounce money and he himself renounced wealth, he said, I'm not gonna mess with it. I'm gonna be a mendicant monk. But understanding that that was gonna be a rare path and that most of, his, most of us that wanting liberation weren't going to have that kind of financial renunciation, we weren't gonna become nuns and monks. We're going to stay as householders with jobs. And the Buddha very much understood that the Sangha, uh, it was going to be necessary for there to be both renunciates uh, on that level of monasticism and non-renunciate serious practitioners who chose to stay in the world working. And um, really, you know, of course, the, the monastics rely upon people like us who continue to deal with money to support them, right? If, if everybody uh, gave up money, then who would feed the monastics, <laughs> right? So the Buddha realized like, okay, a lot of people are going to stay in their professions. So important to choose a profession, find a profession that's not gonna be creating negative karma for us. So a lot of my questions, most of the questions I'm asking are rhetorical or for your reflection. I'm not asking you to answer them. You don't need to post your answers in the chat, just reflecting on it, just thinking about what is my relationship like with money? And also I want you to, I wanna ask you, where did you learn about money? How many of your attitudes about money, where did they come from? I have this feeling that for the most part, not totally, but for the most part, by the time people like us 
get desperate enough to start Buddhist meditation practice. <laughs> By the time we find ourselves in a Buddhist Sangha, we've had so we've hit some sort of dead ends. Um, there's not that many people that show up to meditation who are like, everything is great and I'm so happy with my career and I'm, you know, money is good. And usually we've hit some walls in the world, uh, whether it's around the suffering of addiction or the dissatisfaction with money and power or the, there's something that by the time we get here that we've probably been, uh, looking at our relationship to money, to power, to societal norms. I don't know if how many of you that's true for, but my sense is that often that's quite true for by the time we find our way into the Sangha. <laughs> We've already been thinking about this stuff and maybe we have some rigid views around money, like it's evil, it's not spiritual. That's why I want to study Buddhism. I want a non-material source of happiness. I, um, but of course, some people, you know, haven't, they're just stressed out. So they're going to check out meditation and they're stressed out with all the money they're making, <laughs> not knowing, uh, you know, all of the stress of the uh, responsibilities. I read an interesting kind of quasi-Buddhist book about money years ago. And uh, one of the things that the, the guy that was writing the book asked, he said, uh, reflect on what your parents taught you. What'd you learn from your parents about money? And, you know, and looking at both of them, you know, what a mom, what did I learn from my mom about money? So I want to give you a minute to think about that. What did you learn from your mother about money? If you had a mother or whoever that primary caregiver was. And it's both uh, explicitly, did they talk to us about money or also inexplicitly, what we learn from watching their relationship to money. How much fear, how much generosity, how much responsibility, how much, how much, what did we learn? How do we take that in? And then from the other, if you had a father around or another primary caregiver or secondary caregiver perhaps, uh, what did dad teach you? What did you learn from watching his relationship to work, responsibility, money? Because we come to the Dharma with all of that. We bring it all with us. And sometimes it's unconscious if you've been meditating for a while, if you've been in therapy for long enough, perhaps you've had some of these conversations. But sometimes it's quite unexplored and we're kind of unconsciously earning, spending, saving, investing, whatever we're doing. 
so I'll share with you a couple of things and we will have a conversation about this. But um, I learned from watching my mom that uh, any, anyways, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, what I took away from my mom was that it's super good to be generous and um, that it's also okay to kind of spend beyond your means and that someone will probably bail you out. And I learned that both from watching her and also from her bailing me out, <laughs> uh, literally out of jail <laughs> sometimes, but also out of financial situations sometimes. So I, I saw this attitude that I have around like, oh, everything will work out as kind of this, uh, oh yeah, I learned that from my mom. Like everything will work out because someone will bail you out. From my father, I learned um, money is not spiritual and we don't talk about it. My father, most of you, many of you know, my father was like a, a very famous and very successful spiritual teacher. Had written dozen, you know, over a dozen books and he would lecture and hundreds of people, sometimes over a thousand people would show up to his retreats and workshops and, you know, in the eighties and nineties, like, and I'm sure he was making a lot of money, but he just, it's not spiritual. We won't talk about it. And um, I, I think because of that attitude of it's not spiritual, my father actually ended up completely broke, even though his earning power was incredible. Because some shame around money, some judgment around money ended up in a place, you know, he made some bad investments and, and did some uh, to the point where in the in his end of his life, he was uh, so broke that uh, there had to be fundraisers to support him. Ram Dass and you know some of his friends did these fundraisers to get him kind of through the end of his life. So I see those things. Neither of those teachings were explicit to me. My, my dad never said money's not spiritual, we don't talk about it. I just absorbed that because he wouldn't talk about it. <laughs> my mom never said someone will bail you out. I just absorbed that from what I observed. Her bailing her, me and the other kids out and her mom bailing her out and just absorbed it. So I think this is important for us all to look at. What is your relationship to money and where'd you learn it? And is it healthy? <laughs> and it is, in, is it in line with the Dharma? Here's what I think a Buddhist attitude about money is. There's nothing evil about it. There's nothing uh, wonderful. It's not, it's not a source of uh, either joy or sorrow. It's all in our relationship to it. You can be, uh, the Buddhist teachings much more are about generosity and about the importance that, that money is this energy that we can share with each other. And uh, there's one time where a very wealthy merchant, one of my favorite teachings about money from the Buddha, this very, very wealthy uh, person comes to the Buddha and he says, you know, I 
I'm a student, I'm a, a disciple, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm devoted to your teachings. I want the kind of freedom that you have, that you emanate. He says, but I'm so busy with my, you know, uh, merchant activities. And I just want to be a blessing to people the way that you are. And you have nothing. You've renounced the world. You have no money. Uh, all you have is wisdom and compassion. And what a blessing you are able to be to people without any financial resources. Should I, and he asked the Buddha directly, he says, should I, do I need to renounce my material, you know, belongings and my livelihood in order to become awake? And the Buddha says something like, no, my teaching does not demand that anybody renounce anything except clinging. It's not about having money or not having money. It's about clinging. He says, if you, he, he says, not only clinging to material things or clinging to wealth, he says also clinging to the uh, self selfishness, self-centeredness, that kind of I, me, mine, clinging to this illusory personhood. He says, if you cling to your wealth, better to throw it away than to let it poison your heart. That's radical. Better to let it all go than to let it poison your heart with greed, with the suffering of clinging. And he goes on to encourage him. He says, you know, you don't have to be a monk. He says, you can be a business person. Um, you can be a blessing to people. He says, look, you're, you're one of our great supporters. You're so generous. You feed us. You, uh, you know, you can be a blessing to people without being a renunciate. You don't have to give it up to not be attached to it. So this is the, you know, this is one of the uh, things that I feel like is a part of the Buddhist attitude, the Buddha's attitude was like, no, let's talk about money and let's talk about how we can uh, have it and earn it and share it with each other, with those in need, without clinging to it. And lots of different teachings where the Buddha talks about it's based on our means, the importance of generosity, of sharing some of our resources with each other, but that it's, uh, it's, it's based on our means, sharing some percentage. And he, he says, you know, even a very, very poor person, uh, it's important for them also to give. It's important for all of us to give. And even if it's just sharing a little bit of our food with someone else who's hungry. I hope that's a little bit helpful. Here's a, I have another question for you to reflect on. Um, thinking about your job. 
whatever you do for a living. Maybe some of us are currently a bit unemployed, <laughs> having lost uh, our livelihoods or uh, you know, with the world closing the industries that we work in. Um, but still, you, you know, most of, I imagine most people have a profession on some level or another, even if you're currently not able to engage in it. And to think about our professions um, and why you chose your profession. Did you choose to do what you're doing for a living, however you make money? Because you're just like, I really want to do that. And you didn't really think so much about how much money that would make you, but it just sort of out of like, that's what I want to do with my life. I want to work in this industry. I want to be a cook. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a uh, doctor, a lawyer, a you know, food server. I want to have a small business. I want to, whatever it is that you do, maybe um, whatever your livelihood is. Did you choose it because it's what you want to do? Or um, was it more just a like, I need to make a living. So look, kind of <laughs> looking at, at the job openings and be like, okay, like I'll do that. Did you stumble into your job based on like, I'm just, you know, I just need a job. So I started working at a restaurant and now I've been working at a restaurant for a long time. It's not that I particularly love restaurants. I just ended up there because I needed a job at the time. Or maybe you work in restaurants and it's because you love food and you love serving people. And why did you choose your profession? And uh, is your profession in line with the Buddha's encouragement towards avoiding Professions that cause harm. I'll give you the list. He says, any kind of um, profession that practices deceit. Do you have to lie to people at your job? I always think about uh, salespeople there's this interesting thing, uh, you know, in any kind of like wh where there's bargaining. Um, like, like if you're a car salesman <laughs> and you go in and you're like, it costs this much. And, you know, everybody that's purchasing it knows there's a negotiation that's going on here. It doesn't cost this much. We have to argue it down. Um, is there deceit in that? Uh, is there treachery in your... Um, or trickery or usury. I had to look up usury years ago. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? And I don't even know what it means. Apparently it means um, a kind of uh, exorbitant interest where you're, you know, like I think in our modern society, those like payday loans or those car title loans or, you know, this stuff where it's like, you're loaning money at a ridiculous, you know, uh, keeping people in debt, keeping people in poverty, wrong livelihood. 
um, any form, five trades that should be avoided, any kind of trade in weapons, arms dealing, trade in living beings. So this is both, uh, you know, like owning a pet store. Uh, and also this refers to uh, human, tra human trafficking and forcing people into sex work, that kind of um, pimping. Trading in flesh in um, intoxicating drinks and poisons. Now this one I feel like is tricky, more tricky for uh, many people in the Sangha than than the other ones. I don't think that there's a whole lot of people that uh, are probably involved in killing or selling weapons or, um, you know, human trafficking or, or animals. Maybe there is some, um, but the uh, selling alcohol. Do you work at a store that sells alcohol? Do you work at a restaurant that sells alcohol? Do you work um, in the cannabis industry uh, that, you know, sells drugs. Um, you know, these are all things that the Buddha said, you just don't want the karma of profiting off of the uh, misery that alcohol and drugs create in this world. You know, we know, like, people like to have a drink. It makes them temporarily feel good. But with the... Uh, you know, epidemic of alcoholism and the violence behind alcohol and the death behind alcohol and um, likewise with cannabis and all other drugs, even though they do create temporary uh, pleasant experiences for people, they, you know, lead to, the, to delusion, lead to ignorance and uh, create great sorrow on the planet. Um, so the Buddha also says, you know, avoiding the profession of being a soldier, a fisherman, a hunter, etc. And that if we want to become serious about awakening and getting free from the causes of suffering in our life and purifying our karma, the importance. Now, I just want to pause, like if you've identified shit, I'm in one of those <laughs> livelihoods. Um, it's not, don't, don't use the Dharma to judge yourself or don't use this teaching to be like, well, I can't be a Buddhist then. Just take it in and reflect on it. Maybe you're in one of these livelihoods and you enjoy it and that's what you're going to do. Keep meditating, keep looking at it, keep turning towards it. Um, and then I feel like what often happens if you get serious about the path is that you will gradually transition out of those forms of making money into other ones that actually feel better, even if it's less. And this is a big part of it. Um, are we willing to make less money doing something that feels good and wholesome and positive or do we feel, nope, I'm stuck in this questionable livelihood because it's an easy job and it makes me lots of money. 
had a friend, Dharma teacher, colleague a few years ago that was going pretty hard on the American capitalist system. And he was kind of really encouraging, you know, like people to uh, disengage. And he was using himself as an example. He says, you know, I, I gave up this very successful career in advertising and it didn't feel like wise livelihood to me. I was advertising a bunch of bullshit, <laughs> trying to get people to buy all of this crap they didn't need. He's like, so I dropped out and I have decided just to live on the donations of being a meditation teacher. And it's not much, but I'm making it work was his teaching. And at one point I had to take him inside and say, you know, of course I agree with everything you're saying. But as a Dharma teacher, it's also our job to be completely honest. And I said, you need to tell everybody that you're telling about how you've dropped out of the capitalist system, that you own two homes, that you've had several inheritances, and that you actually have millions of dollars. <laughs> and, you know, that you're not really living on the $40,000 a year that you get in donations for teaching meditation. <laughs> you know, like, let's, let's be real. Like, not everybody has the inheritance and the sort of abundance that you have to be able to make that choice. I have a few more thoughts, but I'm quite curious about how all of this is landing with you all. Money is, on some level, it's an, it's an energy, but there's no real, um, you know, we all uh, put some energy into our livelihood and then we get paid something for it. Um, but there's no kind of equality in it. There's no uh, you know, based on the history of racism and the history of uh, slavery and the history, you know, of old money and corporate money. And, you know, there's not a kind of like, yeah, we're all equally working for the same living wage or, um, you know, the reality on this planet is that uh, although money is an energy, everyone is not equally rewarded for their energy. And, um, and what's tragically true is that some of the most wholesome, uh, wonderful professions, most important professions are compensated very low. Like what we know about school teachers. This is like so important to like, educate the children or the young people um, and then they don't get paid a living wage uh, you know or really or maybe they do some some places they do some places they don't or um, you know so frontline social workers out there like really working on the streets really helping people really and not you know not not making enough money to buy a home for the most part in most parts of the country. Um, different question whether owning property is important or not important. But. 
So what are some of your thoughts? What does this bring up for you about money, about shame, about gratitude, about generosity? Um, you know, I've, I've for, I'm always saying, uh, you know, money never works. It just doesn't make people happy. Uh, and at one point I had a fairly wealthy student come to me and be like, you know, I hear what you're saying, but most of the people, they, they were saying most of the people that I know that have a lot of money are pretty fucking happy that they have a lot of money. <laughs> and um, I was like, okay, I don't know. I, I've never had a lot. And uh, I've had this experience where as a Dharma teacher, counselor, um, I've seen people with a lot of money kind of coming into the Sangha saying, it didn't work. I got everything that I thought I wanted, everything that I thought would make me happy, the American dream. And it did not work, didn't make me happy. I was, I've told this story before, but a few years ago I was meeting with a very successful uh, entertainment music industry person, wanted to talk some Dharma with me. And at one point he said, um, he said, you know, some of my friends are really, really rich, but none of them are happy. And he was talking about billionaires. He's like, some of my billionaire friends uh, are really, and none of them are very happy in their lives. And I just, I was struck by him talking about other people as being really wealthy because he probably, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars himself. It's all relative. It's all. Okay, last thing, Jeff, I see your hand and Kat, I saw your hand and that it went away. Last piece I want to bring into this conversation about money. So the Buddha talks about how do we earn money, the importance of finding livelihood that's not causing harm to ourselves or others. He doesn't talk about this, but I want to, I want to ask this. I want to bring this into the conversation. How do we spend money? It has a lot to do with our attitude about money, but not just how generous are we or, or how responsible are we or how much do we invest, but how much of our money is going to corporations, uh, industries uh, that are causing harm to the planet? or to you know, corporations or individuals who uh, aren't doing much good with the billions of dollars that they're making. And just like, I think maybe a good example for all of us, uh, like in this pandemic where so many small businesses are going out of business, so many people are losing our livelihoods, our leases, and then as we're all aware of, you know, all of these corporations are making billions, the big corporations, which are making so much money off of the pandemic, off of being, people being stuck at home and having to order things online and having to, you know, get food delivered and uh, having to shop at the big box stores because the small stores are closing or are forced to close. Now, I don't want to get too political here, but I do want to 
ask each one of us, you know, and I, I reflect on this for myself. What's my intention? What's my motivation? Where am I coming from when I choose to, out of convenience, order something on Amazon and give Jeff Bezos some of my money, let him add to his billions, rather than taking a little bit of effort and seeing what kind of local businesses, small, locally owned business I could support for the same product or a similar product. And maybe it would cost me a little bit more. And just looking at like, how do we spend? How much are we kind of motivated by what's cheap and easy? Walmart, Amazon. And how much um, are we actually taking our time and saying like, actually I wanna invest my money in local businesses, communities, people doing good work, people giving back. Do you think about that before you purchase something? Shopping at Whole Foods, which used to feel, to me, used to feel pretty wholesome. Used to feel like, oh yeah, this is like, these guys in Austin, Texas started this natural food, uh, you know, chain and felt, I felt fine about supporting them, even though they make a lot of their money off of the booze that they're selling, which is questionable. And then now it's Amazon. And now I feel like, oh, I don't feel so great about shopping there anymore. Again, not, you know, everybody, you have to find your own, but are we thinking about this stuff? Okay, so I'm gonna open it up to some questions, comments, Debate, Jeffrey, you're first, go ahead. Thank you. <clears throat> Your question was uh, like, what's coming up and what's the stirring up? And for me, it stirs up a little frustration because of the livelihood question. I'm always thinking about that. I'm in the education field. I used to be in the classroom and now I'm at a charter school. And on the surface education, you know, we, we want it to be idyllic, you know, and teachers are saving students' lives and all that wonderful stuff. But so much of my job is consumed with bullshit paperwork to satisfy the state requirements. And I mean, there's a level of deception that goes on all the time. I try never to deceive my students, you know, my customers. I tell it like it is to them. Sometimes at cost to myself. <laughs> um, but it's, it's very frustrating for me because so much of the system is just broken and, and self-perpetuating, you know, and it's not really interested in helping individual students. And it's really a big battle all the time. And, and now with the pandemic going on, I'm not seeing my students. I really haven't seen them in months there's a lot of zoom meetings and stuff like what we're doing here. And it's just like, it's really stripping away all of the best parts that made the job rewarding. And I'm left with mostly just bureaucratic bullshit on a day-to-day -day basis. So, uh, you know, I, I have no point. It's I'm just sharing and it's a, it's a trial of my patience, I guess. Yeah. 
I mean, I would uh, just comment that, you know, what a dilemma that even when we're in this wise livelihood arena, um, how uh, the bureaucracy makes, you know, blocks us being able to really do what we are educated and, and inspired to do. Exactly. What a dilemma. Uh, you know, from a Buddhist perspective, uh, it, it is wise livelihood. And then all of that uh, can be framed as like, this is my spiritual practice too. The bureaucracy are also my teachers <laughs> teaching me about patience and tolerance and forgiveness. And, you know, just like, because it's so easy to hate, right? It's so easy to be like, fuck the system. And just, you know, lots of justifiable resentments that can come up in that kind of situation, um, rather than being like, okay, this is the shit I have to deal with in order to care for these young minds. <laughs> and, um, and I'm choosing this. Anyways, I hope those reflections are helpful. Kat, did I um, already address your or, or lose it? I sort of answered my own question. I was thinking about like, what is the karmic position of the Dharma teacher who's taking money from the butcher, the person selling alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's just a question of relative goodness or badness. It's a great question. Uh, it's not addressed anywhere that I can tell um, where the, the Buddha doesn't go too far into who are you receiving from uh, and he was receiving money from kings who were not the greatest, you know, who were warrior kings and, you know, kind of rulers. So he didn't seem to think that there was much karma in receiving from people who had earned their income in a negative way. Um, and that maybe even it was helping them purify their karma, but I don't know. I don't think we want to get too into like helping the drug dealers launder their cash through the meditation center. <laughs> okay, who was next? I think Michelle was next. Go for Hi. it. Hi, thanks. Um, so I kind of have a very complicated relationship with money and my primary income is from uh, federal disability. And so I kind of go all the way in circles around it, you know, like, am I taking money from tax dollar payer, you know, tax payers, or am I like, you know what, and should I not spend my money on whatever? It's just like this big problem that I go through. And, and yeah, you know, like it came from being a veteran. So I don't want to talk about that, you know, but I'm not sure really, it, it's just very confusing. I'm interested in what you have to say about that. Um. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't hear the question so much as much as just that it's like a challenge for you around feeling somewhat indebted or responsible to be responsible about how you spend because of where your income comes from. Yeah, I think so. You know, like, is there like, I don't know, I guess I feel guilt around it, you know, but like what kind of karma is involved with just kind of blowing my cash on shit when I'm not the one earning the money? Yeah. I don't have a, the only thought that I really have is that if it's 
if you feel if you don't feel good about it that's that's the teaching right that's the sort of oh i don't i don't feel good about this so then some encouragement to uh find a, a way of livelihood that you do feel good about hmm. um I, I felt like not not just for your question for all of us right like if you are in a place around money and it doesn't feel good where how you're getting it that that's a teaching that's a kind of like oh i don't i don't feel good about this i feel guilty i feel whatever it is and uh, I know, I know a, a bit about your situation with, um, you know, and, and some of it, it not stuck, but it's like necessary. Some of that support that you're getting is necessary. Um, but just an encouragement to be like, maybe I could look at extricating myself from this form of financial support. Maybe that's possible. And if it's not possible, then, um, you know, just a lot of acceptance and a lot of, uh, you know, all right. Like, this is just kind of where I'm at right now in this incarnation with, and that it's necessary. All right. Thank you. Welcome. Ralph, go ahead, jump in. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, it's about livelihood, but not in so much what I do. I'm a clinical therapist. Um, but I work within the prison system, the state prison system. And I know the justice system is inequalities, it's suffering, it's all that that's involved and the, the negative aspects of it. And I, and I think I just justify it that, you know, I'm helping relieve some suffering by providing a service in the prison though and it can it trips me up at times you know should i should i just you know do i bail from it but i know i'm doing good work within it but it's not anything i can solve right I mean, my, uh, it's from, from the lists that we looked at around right livelihood, it is considered right livelihood, the work that you're doing. Um, and I get the dilemma about receiving a paycheck from the American industrial prison complex that is completely unjust and that is completely yeah. corrupt. And, and your in there helping people that uh, have been, you know, unjustly um, incarcerated. Many, not all, some are <laughs> very much. Yes, it's uh, very layered. It's very I mean, layered. It's extremely layered when you talk about all the systems that contribute to it. Yes. It's just, it's like an onion. You just keep peeling it away. It's just, yeah, it's crazy. But I feel like it's so, you know, having been someone that has done a little bit of time in my youth, and also I went and, you know, I worked at San Quentin for some time through a nonprofit, not receiving money from them. But um, I feel like that's such a good work.
It's such good work. It's such important work to do. And it's healing work. So um, I don't know. I, I, I more, more mostly applaud your, your efforts in there. I appreciate that. Yeah. Because it plays with my head at times. Yeah. I get it. Of course, I think it would it would fuck with me too. But it's uh, important work, and you know, there what a um, blessing to have someone like you not not just a therapist, but a Dharma person that can bring mindfulness into, you know, and that isn't just a kind of uh, you know coming in you know to do the meditation group once a month or something, but is there regularly as a resource for the people that want to have some transformation in that really difficult time. Um, so I think it, it's good work. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Chris, maybe last one or a couple more maybe. Yeah. Yeah. This Chris? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, well, trickery and deceit are certainly <laughs> part of my job. That's <laughs> right? uh, packed and packed with lies, but they're uh, designed as an entertainer, it's designed to lead people to a really wonderful, beautiful place. Um, uh, however, the money, this was the first time, this past year was the first time I've, uh, I was in a relationship and it was the first time I was judged for what I had or didn't have, really. And so when you mentioned earlier, I found it really interesting how much anger and shame I allowed to arise really the shame because I've never, I'm always very, I don't, I don't know if abundance is the right word, but I, I've always, uh, I, I've done well, but I always share my wealth. I'm very generous with that because it, it just sort of, it's a circle that it keeps sort of coming in and I keep that generosity going and suddenly was judged for not having that. Uh, um, and again, allowing myself to feel ashamed, you know, by someone who never had to work, never really earn a living. And um, so is that a common thing that uh, for shame and anger to arise from money? Um, I want to make a joke about it. it's common in Los Angeles to be shamed about how much money you don't have. <laughs> 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 but maybe, maybe, um, maybe it is common. Uh, I think it again. It's our conditioning around it. It's how, what we've learned about it, how secure we are with it, and uh, it's so internal. Our reaction to other people's, you know, we do live in this capitalist society that gives this false promise of happiness through wealth. Uh, that just about everybody has bought into. Um, so, and, and including us, you know, like that's where we have to really look at like how much, if I'm feeling shame around it, then I must have bought into that too. I must somehow believe that I should have more also, just like all the advertisements have been telling us. <laughs> right. right? Um, impossible to escape that conditioning in this culture totally possible to see see it and see through it and transform it and our relationship to it the dharma does that 
Yeah. And I think the, the forgiveness practices that you've done and the heart practices really helped me work through that. I had those tools then, fortunately, because it was, it was a very painful experience, but um, yeah. Thank you for tonight. Welcome. Good to see you. Good to see everybody. Um, I'll end with a, a short uh, story about my son. My nine-year-old son, it's his birthday today. He's super into money. <laughs> he really he wants to talk about money. And I think that, you know, I talked earlier about what I learned from my parents. Uh, and like, since my dad wouldn't really talk to me or educate me about money, I think I maybe go the other way a little bit. I'm like, yeah, sure, let's talk about money. And this is, you know, like, let's talk about earning money. And I'm probably a little too generous and, you know, let him spend more than maybe a nine-year-old should be spending. And um, anyway, so we, we go on this, that sort of, I guess, part of the story of just like how honest kids are, you know, how like children will just like say whatever is on their mind. So we go and we're staying with a friend up in Jackson Hole and we walk in and he's just like, damn, you're rich. <laughs> he's like, this is a nice house. <laughs> just hilarious that you know kids just call it just be like just call it and then you know maybe to um to chris to your uh i've got you know like we, we i ended up talking with him and I, several other people that have a lot of money that end up feeling a lot of shame about having money right and there's there's those who have shame about not having enough and then people that have a lot of money often feel like Ooh, especially when you're in spiritual circles, like shit, I'm gonna be judged. People, you know, like it's not cool to to have money and, you know, be spiritual. Um, anyways, all of that, like so much of what the Dharma teaches us, that it's not about what's happening. It's about how you're responding to what's happening. It's not about what you have or don't have. It's about how you're relating to what you're craving for <laughs> around money. And that we can be free, whether we're working class, poor, middle class, wealthy, none of that has anything to do with our true happiness. There was a study that I saw at one point that said, there is some kind of relative level of happiness that people report when they get to the kind of middle class uh, American kind of, I don't know what it was like around, around $70,000 a year, that there's a kind of increase of people's sort of material satisfaction. But then above that, once you get into the six figures that people just said like, yeah, it doesn't make me any more happy. It doesn't work. The millionaires, the billionaires, for the most part, just say like, Nope, I'm actually just afraid of losing it. <laughs> uh, it's stressing me out. As always, everything that I have to say, I do not say to you for uh, asking for faith, but asking for your reflection. And I, I hope that that came across clearly that um, I don't have all the answers about money. Uh, here's some of what the Buddha taught about livelihood, and then just an investigation and a reflection for all of us, uh, and making our relationship to money 
part of our spiritual practice. It's not not spiritual. It's actually very central to our lives. And if we're choosing this life as a householder, as a what we call a lay person, and we're going to be earning money and spending money, it's our spiritual practice. It's our mindfulness. It's our karma to be awake to our relationship to money and not unconsciously driven. So uh, the invitation is to, to wake up to your relationship to money and then look at where you want to change it and then work towards changing our relationship um, for your reflection, for your consideration. Thank you for joining us, joining me tonight and against the stream. Um, speaking of money, class is done by donation. If you'd like to uh, be generous, uh, Rachel has put the link to the um, website where you can donate. I also just sent out a year-end um, request for support. We're coming to the end of the year. We are a nonprofit organization. If you are able to support the organization through your generosity, please do so. Um, Monday night class, we encourage a uh, 15 to $20 donation for the drop-in class. And now, now that it's on Zoom, people uh, don't tend to take that uh, donation business very seriously. And that's okay, you're welcome to be here whether or not you can afford to donate. But if you can afford to donate, it's a good thing to do for yourself. It's good for us. We, we appreciate being able to pay the rent and uh, you know have a meditation center. But it's good for us. It's good for you to, to give. It's part of the, the Dharma practice to be generous. You don't have to do that here at Against the Stream, but do it in some areas of your life. Make sure that you're sharing some of your resources with those who you deem uh, worthy. Couple of announcements. One is that um, Rebel Saints and Against the Stream uh, are going to collaborate on a 12-hour retreat the day after Christmas, a 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. day of practice with kind of all of the teachers, Rachel Savage, Ward, Jason Murphy, and myself. Did I miss anybody, Rachel? All that's that's us, right? All five of us. And um, each of us are going to do a piece of this 12-hour day of practice on Zoom. Um, and you're all invited. And it's uh, um, by donation. The whole thing is we're doing it out of our generosity for you. You can come. You can donate whatever you'd like to be there. You can come to part of it and then come back for another part. You can kind of come in and out of the day if you want to. Um, that should be, maybe you've seen it advertised. It's on the Against the Stream website. It's on the Rebel Saints website. It's on the social medias of Rebel Saints and Against the Stream and all of the teachers. So you're all invited day after Christmas, 26th. And then I have this um, four month course on the, that I'm continuing the Thai forest lineage um, tradition study and practice course. We're going to be going through the Ajahn Sundara, one of the, she's the most senior uh, female monastic in the Thai, in the Ajahn Chah course. We're gonna go through her book, Walking the World. Um, 
and she's one of my teachers for about 30 years now. And we're going to look at her book and practice together and, and discuss together. There is an early registration discount if you register in December. So that's also information on the website. Um, if you wait and register in, it starts February, it's the first Sunday in February. Um, if you wait until January to register, it's going to cost a little bit more. There's an early reg discount. So if you're thinking about doing that, sign up for it and join us, join me for that um, four month study and practice course. That's all I got for tonight. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your participation. We will close down the uh, class now and uh, I'll hang around if there's some questions. Amanda, I see your hand. So if you want to ask some questions, we'll take it off of the public class. So thanks everybody. See you next week. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.